Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Sanigato. I'm Greg Dybeck. And we just want to give a quick shout out to our patrons who are supporting the show at patreon.com slash OPL show. If you do sign up and support the show, uh, you get bonus episodes and, uh, you know, access to a discord where sometimes we follow up with our guests and you get to chat with them. So Yes. And today we are speaking to a man who has experienced conversion therapy uh, in an attempt to change his sexual orientation from gay to straight. Uh, one of the most bizarre slash interesting topics to me you know personally really excited to learn more about this and uh what goes on so thank you for being on the show today you're welcome it's my pleasure so i think a good place to start would be your life right before you experienced the conversion therapy uh, i guess you know where where you were at and what led you to uh you know be subject to this therapy uh i've been dealing with um basically shame for being homosexual for most of my life because i grew up in a christian household and it was a pretty conservative christian household i myself was and still am a christian and um i'd been consuming books that were meant to help me you know become straight and i had you know my family knew all my siblings knew that i had tendencies toward this at the time i i said that i had struggled with same-sex attraction i was still a virgin at this time and i wanted to remain a virgin until i could get it sorted because you know in in conservative christian circles it's all about uh, saving yourself for marriage and of course marriage is between a man and a woman so my my mother and father had found this um, they found this it was within our city and they suggested it to me and I joined it willingly. Mm. So at this time you were communicating with your parents uh, that I guess you were having feelings related to homosexuality, but this is something that you had a desire to change. Yeah. Uh, like I looked at gay pornography and like I had crushes on guys and I didn't want any of this because I wanted to fit in with the rest of my family. We're all getting, you know, married to the opposite gender and having kids. And I was getting older. I think this was, I was around, uh, I think I was around 18 when this happened. Um, and yeah, I had told them, they, they knew about it. They knew that I was, you know, gay or struggled with uh, same-sex attraction. So I was pretty open with my family about it because it was something I was ashamed of and it was something I wanted to get out of my life. So, yeah, it wasn't a matter of me being uh, forced to go at all. So they, did they at any point, uh, you know, like, did you like it? Was it always shame? Did they always like kind of bash you for this thing? Not bash you, but just kind of, you know, talk about it in a negative light where it's like, yes, we need to get this out. We need to fix this problem. Yeah, like it was it, like, I don't know at what point it started, but I like I always knew being gay was wrong. I, like I took violin as a kid. And my violin teacher was gay. And um, I remember my mom talking about him. And and that was the first time I'd ever heard about, you know, man having sex with another man. I was homeschooled. I lived on the prairies, so I I didn't go to school. I didn't hear I didn't interact with lots of other kids. I didn't hear, you know. I was, I was very uh, closed off, so I, the idea of being gay was introduced to me as a sin, uh, like smoking or uh, uh, drinking or having sex before marriage. It was lumped in with all of those. Wow, so an ultra-conservative Christian environment um, to, to the point that, yeah, you're being homeschooled and it was pretty much all your family's teachings. Wow. That's true, yep. 
like my uh, only my only social interactions were on Sunday with other you know people in around the countryside that went to the same church as I did. That was really my only social interaction. So, yeah, very conservative. So when you, so when this happens and you decide and they bring it up to you like, okay, there's this conversion therapy. Uh, you know, you join that wing willingly. So like, where was your mind at at that point? Was it, were you hopeful that, okay, this can, this is the answer to all my prayers of like trying to get this, you know, bad thing out of my life. Did you, were you hopeful in that or were, how are you like mentally going into this? Yeah, I was, uh, as far as I can remember, because this was over a decade ago, but it, I was extremely helpful or hopeful that, uh, that things were going to go well, uh, you know, because I thought, okay, well, now I'm going to go to a place where I can be really open with other people who struggle with the same things. And, you know, when you start communicating and interacting with people with the same struggles, it starts to ease the burden and make it easier to come through struggles uh, triumphant on the other side. So I think I did have a, I did have a, a positive outlook on it uh, before going, before going into it. Were you, were you upset with yourself because you had same sex attraction where you were just like a part of you, like. I don't want to say hate yourself because that's like a little extreme, but you know, did, was there a part of you that was upset that you had this? Yeah. Like, of course I was very upset with my, uh, about uh, the fact that I was attracted to guys and men. Like I, you know, as far as I, I could see at the time, like it was perverted and I didn't want it in my life. So yeah, I was very upset with it. And anytime I, you know, anytime I looked at pornography and jerked off, as soon as I was done, I'd feel like, you know, overwhelming guilt, not just because I jerked off, which, you know, wasn't the best thing for a conservative Christian kid, but because of what I jerked off to. Right. And is the belief at that time that homosexuality is a mental disorder that can be cured? I don't know. I don't think in my family, we didn't talk about it like it was a mental disorder. It was more just a sin that you're tempted to commit. Uh, just hmm. like anybody and any other sins they commit. Interesting. So your family decides that conversion therapy is obviously worth a shot here. Uh, Decided well. <laughs> so how does that even begin? What is day one of gay conversion therapy for a, how old were you, 18 at the time? I believe I was 18, yeah. Yeah, How? How? what was that like? Well, this situation, like it was in the city that I was living in at the time. And it was, it was in a big uh, church after hours. And I believe it was like, like, I'm sorry that I say I believe and if I recall, because it was quite some time ago, but it was, it was very similar. Like the setup for this therapy was very similar to AA, I think. Um, like you just met in this room, you met a whole bunch of other people, but it wasn't really meeting because we were all uncomfortable. And there was a couple of leaders and yeah, like we, it's it's it went from there. It started with praise and worship, and prayer, and yeah, it was it was very awkward. It was sort of just like a church. It was almost like a church service just geared toward homosexuals. So it, you guys would just kind of sit there. Did you have to share your story at all? Um, yeah, it started first with this praise and worship session where we would all sort of you know watch the leaders. Uh, you know, lead the praise and worship and lead prayer. I don't recall if they gave a sermon or anything, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure they did. Um, so that was probably for about half an hour. And then after that, they had, they had all of us from groups with a couple of um, mentors, like people that had gone 
gone through our various uh, sexual struggles. And uh, so I was in a group of about five or six guys and we went to like a separate smaller room. And that was where it, it became a lot more like a AA meeting in the sense that we would, at that point, we would uh, talk about oh, what we had struggled with through the week, you know, if we had been looking at pornography and basically our journey and how it was going as far as like getting out of homosexuality. The, uh, the mentors, so these are people who were leading the sessions that claim to have cured their own homosexuality by what, going through the same process that you were going through? Yeah, um, they were They were meant, that, that that was what we were meant to believe is that they had come out the other side and were now straight. Um, the founder of this, the founder of this whole um, gay conversion therapy session thing was, uh, he was quite old and he had, uh, he was positive for HIV or AIDS. So he had, you know, lived that life and he had come out the other side, quote unquote, and was now, was now straight and, you know, helping others uh, to do the same. And so the mentor in my particular group, the smaller group, he was just a few years older than me. I think he was 24 or 25. And, you know, he had like patched things up with his father because, you know, that's where homosexuality stems from a lot of the time, apparently is, you know, a bad relationship with your father. Oh, that's interesting. That's the- Yeah, I was, I was led to believe very early on that, that my, my homosexuality stemmed from that. And I, I believe that probably up until about, probably up until about seven or eight years ago, I still believe that the reason that I was gay was because I had a, a distant relationship with my father. Huh. Now, when you're going through this, I know, I know the sound, this question probably sounds funny, but you know, you're young, you're impressionable. Uh, you're speaking to these mentors who if you believe them have been cured, is there any point where you feel like this could be working or not even close? It, it never for me, like, I mean, I, I saw the mentors and so I believed it was possible, but, uh, like it wasn't like magic. And, uh, while I was going through these weekly, uh, sessions, I just constantly felt like I wasn't working hard enough. And that's why uh, it wasn't like I wasn't doing the necessary work somehow or that I wasn't. Maybe if I would have believed more, it would have worked. It's a lot of shame involved here. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm kidding. A lot of shame. <laughs> so it, was there any, how long did you do the therapy? I think it was around six months, I think, uh, weekly. Wow. So every week you'd go in there for a couple hours, I assume? Yeah, and uh, there was there was a curriculum, and I I saved this curriculum for a long time. I like I threw it out uh, when I first moved out of my parents' place because it was like, what is this bullshit? But I did save this curriculum for a, a while. So there was so we we were working through some sort of curriculum or some sort of writing. I I don't remember what this curriculum stated or what this journey in the curriculum was supposed to be, but like it ended. Uh, like the the sessions ended when we reached the end of the curriculum kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about a sh basically a structured class here uh, because that's what that's what fascinates me too is the amount of work that this group had probably put into you know structuring this, creating a curriculum, um, you know exercise lessons. It seems like it was really you know regimented in that sense. 
Yeah, and it's a business. Like, we, we had to pay money for me to be in it, right? That was mm. going to be one of my questions. Got yeah. it. <laughs> well, that kind of changes everything, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, and is it an affiliation directly with the church, or is it like a private organization that does this? I believe it was a private organization. And to be honest, I don't think it exists anymore in my city. Wow. Do you think, I mean, maybe this is more so in retrospect and looking back, but when you think of some of the, you know, exercises and just the shame, it seems, of the things that you had to discuss, uh, do you think that it was more harmful? Obviously, it's not something that's going to help or work, but harmful in ways like for me, I can imagine, you know, as that shame builds up, as you're struggling with something that you're being told can be fixed, but now you're failing at it, essentially. Does that bring on depression, anxiety? Like, I would just imagine it being so harmful in so many other ways. It, for me, was, um, like, it was, I guess my parents would probably see it as harmful because it was sort of after that when I realized that it was like, okay, well, I've gone to this gay conversion therapy. I don't believe I worked hard enough, but I'm, you know, at this point now I'm giving up because I did this and it didn't have an effect. So, like, while I was going through it, like, I was very ashamed and it was it was awful. And I still dealt with that for a long time afterward. But it was not too long after that that I was like, okay, not that I was out of shame. I still had a lot of shame. But it was when I got out of that that I was like, okay, the work is too hard and I want to have sex. Because, like, at this point I was an adult, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was around that time when I started hooking up. I was still filled with shame and I know that this thing caused more shame but as far as how it affected my sexual life it did push me it did push me toward homosexuality in a way (laughs) did uh did that kind of affect you know your your family at all like how they felt towards you like were they accepting or did they you know because you hear some horror stories of like you know my parents kick me out of my house or my parents tell me they don't love me or you know this and that was there did it kind of put your relationship with your family on the rocks because of this uh, no it didn't because like uh, at the point at that time i was only living with my parents it was just me their adult son and my two parents and um yeah like i was hooking up i was having sex um all this kind of stuff but my parents and the way i communicated with my parents was that i didn't want this to be a part of my life um and so yeah, that, that was why I was only hooking up. I wasn't looking for love at the time because if I was only hooking up, meeting somebody one night, meeting somebody else the next night, this was there was no commitment here. So I did this for about two years because I didn't want to commit to a life of being homosexual because I was still ashamed. So, so my was, parents yeah. didn't kick me out or anything because they knew that, you know, they knew that I was still struggling and I didn't want to be gay despite my actions, right? It wasn't like, you know, I'm gay, I'm proud, you know, accept me for who I am. And then and then they would kick me out. That's not, that wasn't the case. It was, they they thought I was struggling because I told them I was continuing to struggle. So they accepted me. Do you think they would have kicked you out if you did, you know, kind of own it? It's hard to say because I only owned it after I'd moved out and I had my first boyfriend and it was when i had my first boyfriend because i had i had decided you know this bullshit um i'm gonna catch diseases this isn't healthy for my mind or my body and that's when i was like okay well i don't know what's happening with my personal journey my personal struggles struggle so i'm going to have a boyfriend a committed boyfriend so that i at least am protecting my uh my body 
<laughs> and yeah. so I think if I had ended up in a relationship, uh, like a committed relationship with uh, my boyfriend while I was living at mom and dad's and they knew and they saw like they, I think at this point they might have kicked me out. Hmm. But I really couldn't say because it didn't happen. Right. Well, spoiler alert, you didn't convert. So I guess <laughs> at, uh, <laughs> oh man, it didn't work. Uh, but at what point, you know, do you say to yourself, uh, I, even, even if you're not fully, you know, committed to, okay, I'm going to own this as, you know, my life going forward and, and my partners, at what point do you tell yourself, I, I got to stop meeting in this, you know, church basement with this group because this is just <laughs> not working. Or as you said, you know, this, this is bullshit and I need to get out. And how, how did that happen? How did you get out of it? <laughs> well, I'm afraid it didn't go that way because there was a curriculum and I stayed for the major the, the entire curriculum. It wasn't, this oh. wasn't a thing that, this wasn't a thing that would carry on after I left. Right. Oh, it's so just like a course that you like finish. I, so you got like a degree basically in conversion yeah. <laughs> therapy, put your time oh, in and then okay. you're good. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I was, uh, yeah, I finished the curriculum or whatnot. Like I finished the sessions and then, you know, I, could continue to have a relationship with my mentor like or you know like alcoholics they have their sponsor right it was mm -hmm. basically like a sponsor i could continue to have a relationship with a sponsor but that didn't turn out to be anything because i didn't want to tell him shit yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah imagine like texting someone like i i touched a penis today like <laughs> what are <laughs> and then <laughs> awkward <laughs> that's wow so okay so wow so it's just a course that you finish it's crazy that they're profiting off of this too. Like do you, looking back, do you think these people who ran this organization believe that change is possible here and like have had success stories or is this just exploiting conservative Christian, you know, groups who want to just convert their troubled, you know, at risk children? Yeah, I feel I feel pretty strongly that the founder is just <laughs> is just somebody who somehow was brainwashed to the point where he believes he's straight. And I do believe that they believe they were doing good work. I, I, I don't, because like it wasn't, there wasn't that many people. And I think it was like $400 for these six months. Like it wasn't expensive. So I, I do feel like the leaders and the organizers believed in it yeah and you said brainwashing which i think is an important word i mean do you do you feel like that that's what the attempt of something like this is is to you know brainwash or just repetitively just you know insert enough messages into your mind that you can somehow convince yourself that you're not gay yeah i i think so like um like, I feel like, at least for me, I was in a lot of ways brainwashed as a child. And this was just basically another step of the brainwashing. I remember uh, at one point meeting some older cousins of mine. Like, they were they were adults and I was, you know, 18, but these people were in their 40s or something. And my parents had set up a meeting with them and they were, you know, hardcore Christians, ran their own church kind of thing. And basically, they'd set up a meeting with them, and I was going to talk with them and see what they had to say about, you know, coming out of being gay. And their advice, <laughs> like, I remember their advice because I had this meeting with them in an airport, and basically all it boiled down to was, 
anytime you think about a man or you have an attraction to a man, tell your mind that's a lie. It was basically like anytime you have an inclination toward homosexuality, remind yourself that it's a lie and it's a lie from the devil. Lie, lie to yourself. <laughs> yeah, basically it was just, you know, yeah, lie to yourself. That's that's really all I was being told. So the this therapy session, it was, it, it felt the same. Like it was just like I, looking back, I just feel like I was just constantly being told to lie to myself. Yeah, just suppress, just suppress it all, and maybe it will go away. Yeah, just ignore it, and then eventually, I don't, I don't even know. I mean, I, I, you know, looking back on it, do you just feel like, well, that was a complete waste of time, and this is obviously just like. A whole sham and also like i had another question i just wanted to ask real quick is you know what was the reaction if it ever happened i'm not sure if you like told your parents like hey listen i'm embracing this like i'm gay i'm not like ashamed of it anymore like i am fully you know wearing it you know yeah like i mean for the first question about whether or not i i believed at any point that it was a total sham um no, I didn't. Not during that time. The whole time, I just thought I wasn't working hard enough. Um, and as far as like, uh, you know, how I came out to my parents saying, mm, yeah, I've embraced it. It wasn't like that either, because this relationship, this committed relationship I would chosen to have, you know, for my own health and sanity, it like it became serious. And it was after I, after we decided to move in together, that sort of uh, shit hit the fan with my family. So you just so, ended up telling them, like, I'm moving out of the house and I have a serious relationship with a man. Yeah, basically that's that's how it went is I had to let my family know that I was moving in with him. I wasn't getting married because, you know, I, I, I still, even after I moved out, and this was a really hard decision for me, it was... It was, it was some of the... Probably actually the heaviest time I've ever gone through was... The decision to move out with my boyfriend while still being eaten up about being gay and feeling like I'm never going to actually marry him because of my shame. Like just feeling in my heart that I'm going to be breaking up with him at some point because the shame is going to be too unbearable and I'm going to have to try and go straight. So it was very strange that I decided to move in with him, but I loved him. And so I just, I just went ahead with it. I was sort of, I guess, living in the moment despite the fact that I had this overwhelming guilt and shame about what I was doing. Yeah, that's got to be hard. And just how it shows how deeply embedded, you know, that shame is. Like, you're still obviously just acting on your natural desires, but still feeling that shame from your past. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I can't imagine that internal struggle. Is that something but... that you still struggle with today, or have you gotten past that point? I've struggled with it probably like it was... It was probably another good two years after being shunned by two of my siblings that I finally felt like I owned it. So it's really only, it's really probably only six years ago where I feel like I own it, but I still like, I still have, I still have minor issues. They're not, they're not major, but it's still like, there, there are still things that I'm, I'm working through. Mm-hmm. So what, what did happen when you told your family then does not sound good from what we just heard. <laughs> uh, it was hard. Uh, my parents were sad. Like, it's just, it's hard because whenever uh, these kind of topics of conversation came up between me and my parents, my dad would get very emotional. Like I, 
I don't have an abusive or mean father at all. He's like, you know, I love my father and he's extremely sensitive. So when we were talking about this kind of thing, he would just, he would just cry because, you know, he believes he's losing his son. And my mom was more of the battle axe, but you know, she also was, uh, she wasn't super harsh, but she, she knew how to communicate in a way that would cut me deep as far as uh, making sure I knew that I should be ashamed or that I'm not making the right choice. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it was probably after a, a year of living with my, a year or two of living with my boyfriend at the time that two of my siblings, it happened, uh, they were six months, six months apart this happened. So the first one he had sat me down with my partner, him and his wife sat down with me and my partner and he, he basically said, do you consider yourself a Christian? And I said, yes. And my partner wasn't a Christian. Um, so he had found some passage in the Bible that said, uh, it's in the New Testament, something Paul said about, you know, you can't break bread with, and then there's a list of kinds of people you can't break bread with that call themselves Christians. Like if these people call themselves Christians, but they're like liars, drunks, homosexuals, et cetera, et cetera, you can't break bread with them. So basically they told me we can't, because they were, they're Bible literalists, we can't eat with you. We can't eat with you because uh, you've chosen to, you know, live this way. They could break bread with my partner because he didn't uh, claim to be a Christian. And then six months later, my sister, she just over the phone told me she couldn't see me or talk to me until I had dealt with this. And she didn't give any really qualifiers or anything. Like she didn't even back it up with a biblical passage. It was just like, <laughs> it was clear she had too much cognitive dissonance and she was just done. Like she didn't want to deal with it anymore. It was too uncomfortable for her. <laughs> so how, how does that make you feel? Like, do you kind of like, where's your head at? Are you kind of like, fuck them? Or are you just kind of like, I feel bad for them in a way or how, what, where's your head at? I hate to say it because looking back, I'm pretty ashamed of how I responded because I felt like I felt so ashamed and guilty and I tried so hard for so long to justify their actions because I knew how strongly they believed and I believed that they, they studied the Bible uh, more than I did, which is true. And they, they were more devout than I am. So I, I did justify their actions for so long. And that just, you know, added to my shame for a long time where I was just sort of like, you know, so sad, so upset that I don't have a relationship with them. And, and also sort of feeling like, uh, yeah, feeling like they did the right thing for themselves. That's heavy, man. Is, wow. that, is that still the case today? So you guys don't, you don't speak? Uh, yeah, I don't speak to them. Like I, I might bump into them at like a, a funeral or something, but uh, yeah, I was at the, I was at the wedding of my niece and <laughs> they were both at the ceremony. They just, you know, quickly left and only my brother was at the reception. My niece was totally hurt. Like it's, it's affected her too now, right? Because she sees what they've, what they've done to the family and, you know, they won't even be there for her on her wedding day because I'm there. Wow. Wow. I, no words for that. I, I can't even imagine, but wow. It, it's just what's so bizarre to me too is, I mean, I know, there are people out there, like you said, who take the Bible very literally. Um, but it's, it's just always strange to me how 
you know, those words that are written, interpreted literally by them just takes such a priority off uh, over every other aspect (laughs) of a human being, you know? Um, But wow, that's a, that that's heavy. But is, is that something, is that a relationship that you would look to try to amend and fix in the future or uh have you kind of given up on that or or do you think that it would be on them to approach you to to try to mend it well i've i've definitely come full circle like i never wanted to be somebody who had hate inside them because of how the church or people around them have treated them like i didn't want to be one of those kind of gays and so i tried so hard to make sure that i didn't judge them too harshly but basically when it comes to a shunning like it's a different kind of a a wound than you know angry words or something because it's like there is no contact so it's basically like they they put a knife in me but they haven't removed it and it just sort of sticks there as long as i'm continuing to be shunned by them i'm continuing to be wounded because it affects me and my relationship with my my parents and my family and the whole family is sort of broken because of what my siblings have done so as I've come around, like, it's impossible not to get more and more angry at them. The more time that goes on, like the wound just festers. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't finish the, uh, the uh, answer. So yeah, as far as like mending a relationship with them, like at this point, it absolutely requires action on their part. I'm hmm. not interested in... <laughs> reaching out to them or talking to them or anything i was at the funeral of one of my aunts and i guess my sister had told my mom you know these are these are you know hard times because it's a funeral like it's a sad time like let caleb know that he can sit at our table if he wants to and in my head i'm just like what the fuck makes you think i want to sit at your table yeah are you completely deluded? Like, you think I'm over here just, like, crying for a relationship with you guys? Like, I don't know you guys. You don't know me anymore. Like, it's not going like that. (laughs) Right. That makes sense. Yeah. That's And I was going to say, that's a a rough position to kind of be in because, you know, as you grow up and become an adult, you have more of an idea of who you are as a person. And when it becomes more clear to you, but more clouded to everyone else, it's like, that naturally drives you apart from these people that you're supposed to be the closest with, you know, your own family. Yeah, exactly. Like I really truly don't believe I even heard my dad. I didn't hear him say it, but I think my mom had told me that he said it. My dad said that my siblings that shunned me, those, my sister and my brother, he said, you know, they don't, they don't know Caleb. If they really knew Caleb, they never would have done that. Wow. Like he, my dad was very against what my siblings have done. Mm. And as time has gone on, my other siblings, I, like I have, I have four siblings. So my other two siblings, my two brothers, um, you know, they've, they've also maintained a relationship with me and realized that it's like, yeah, they don't, they don't share my values. They also uh, don't believe that you know they don't believe in homosexuality they do believe it's a sin but they've they've decided that it's not worth uh breaking up the family or shunning me uh mm-hmm. for their to impose their beliefs on me like i think they're respectful of the fact that different people have different beliefs and i, I just wish 
these two siblings of mine could have done the same. Yeah. Are you at least at a point where you, you don't feel blame for the relationship with them ending or any sort of guilt? No, I don't. And that, that is actually a really great uh, point and a good feeling because <laughs> for a long time I did, and I was still thinking like, what could I do differently? What can I do now at this point? But I've, I have definitely completely let let go of any any blame or feeling like, oh, maybe there's a mutual apology necessary. There is no mutual apology necessary. It's just a one-sided apology. Yeah, totally. So I guess to, you know, move to the, the present day and, you know, where you're at now, um, you know, I know that's obviously a heavy topic, uh, you know, with the, the family relationship, but um, would assume that there's a lot of positives now uh, for your own acceptance uh, of yourself and to kind of shed that shame, uh, you know, what, what type of place are you in now? Yeah. Like I'm, I am very, uh, I would say pretty free of shame. Like I'm not a hundred percent there. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm likely going to have some small issues with it probably for the rest of my life because I, I like, I'm a Christian and I know it's going to be a, a thing for most of my life, but yeah, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not really ashamed anymore. I live, I live in a way that, um, yeah, Christians wouldn't like, and <laughs> and I'm still a Christian. And you know what? It's just, it's none of their business. We all have our own relationships with God. Yeah, no, that, and that's an interesting point. And you know, before we wrap up, that's something that I did want to touch on. Is you did say that you're still Christian, and you know, this is obviously what we're discussing here from conversion therapy. Uh, to Bible literalist and family shunning you. I mean, this is the extreme end uh, of the spectrum um, of of some people with certain Christian beliefs. But for you to still say you're a Christian, you know, I don't want this to come off as bashing Christianity or putting this all under the you know umbrella of Christianity. So, what? How have you been able to you know still call yourself a Christian? You know, like what does it mean to you despite everything that you've gone through in your life, uh, sort of being fueled by Christianity? Yeah, I know it's hard because like I don't generally like being lumped in with Christians. <laughs> I think that's I think it's understandable why I wouldn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's difficult, you know, because I call myself a Christian, but I don't really like to necessarily associate with them. <laughs> yeah. So I just I guess I call myself a Christian because I believe uh, the Gospels of the Bible. I believe the Gospels, and as I believe the Gospels, I have to call myself a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I, I read the Bible clearly. I read the Bible in a different way than my siblings do. Right. right. Yeah, and I guess there's always that separation of, you know, faith and, and the institution itself. So, you know, um, but wow, I think that's a, you know, really powerful, heavy conversation to have, you know, like I said, to to really understand and get some insight into that kind of extreme end of the spectrum, uh, you know, and these things that you've gone through uh, is really, really eye-opening. And, uh, but it is good, you know, to hear the the place that you're at now and in, in a healthy relationship. Uh, and it seems like happy and, you know, accepting of yourself more than anything. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on and, and, and talking to us. I know like this is probably not the easiest thing in the world to talk about it. I mean, you're you're, you know, like you said, you're pretty removed, but it's also not that, you know, far away that this all happened. And it's, it's been like your upbringing. So we appreciate you coming on and and shedding some light on it. That was my pleasure. I really hope that, uh, 
anyone listening that uh, struggles with this just knows that, you know, sometimes the way you feel, like the guilt or the blame that you feel isn't actually coming from you. I think that was something that took me a long time to realize that I felt guilt, but it wasn't actually coming from me or from God. It was just, yeah, brainwashing for lack of a better word. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think, uh, yeah, a lot of people listening to this, you know, even if it's not as extreme or they haven't experienced conversion therapy, uh, you know, are still struggling with this, are still struggling with families who might not be accepting uh, of their sexual orientation, maybe a fear of even coming out. Uh, you know, as we know, this is still a struggle a lot of people are dealing with. So I think this will be really helpful for a lot of people to hear your story. So thank you so much again. Thank you for having me. Of course, All right. Have, have a good one. What a wild story that was, you know, like from start to end, it was like this whole character arc for a lack of a better term. Like, it's just wild to, you know, kind of hear about that because you don't think about you know his point of view like i was thinking that he knew he was gay and he was you know totally fine with that but his parents kind of forced him into this yeah uh, conversion therapy but if he if he was the one who was kind of like yeah i need to get this out like he was so conditioned into thinking it was like this very negative thing that Mm. he was willing to go to conversion therapy that's the scary part because same thing i was shocked when he said that i was ready for you know, this is bullshit. I, I went through this therapy just knowing that this would work. To appease my parents. Fighting against it. What? Pease your pants? To appease your parents. Oh. <laughs> they said because I peed my pants. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. But no, it just it, it shows how deep-rooted that conditioning, I guess, can be from childhood. And that's the scary part, knowing that, uh, you know, this still goes on. And there's still people to this day, 2020. Yeah. Like, this is wrong. This is a sin. Uh, what you feel isn't natural. There's nothing biological about this. This is, you know, a mental illness. And just the whole idea of conversion therapy blows my mind. Like, yeah, the, the pseudoscience of, yeah, like, it's it's bizarre that it's legal. I, well, I think it has been banned in some states. I don't know, but uh, it definitely still goes on. And I think there's even more extreme versions than what he went through. Yeah, there's, there's like, like shock therapy or something. Yeah, like, no, that has happened in the past. I, God, I hope that doesn't still happen, but who knows? Yeah, there's like boarding camps and uh, like who knows what tactics that are just being invented, you know, that are just it's, based on it's spirituality. Terrible. It's really terrible because like, I mean, I grew up Catholic. We went to church every Sunday. I went to Sunday school, whole thing. Same. But like, at a certain point, you have to know that reading this thing literally and to think that this book is definitive of like what it should be, you know, is, is like, it's almost foolish. It's almost like immature. You know what I mean? It's like a game of telephone. This is how I think about like the Bible and whatnot, not to get like super religious and like, you know, whatever, but you know, it's like to me it's like a game of telephone like if you play that in a room with 10 people and you whisper something into someone's ear by the time it gets to the 10th person it's not the same sentence anymore and this book how is how old and i mean the things that are written in it like along the way things are going to change you know yeah totally like that's that's and especially like now in this in this progressive 
well, wow. more progressive compared to that time, uh, world that we live in, there has to be something in there because there are a lot of religious people out there that are now realizing like, dude, if you're a homosexual, like it's fine. Like there isn't this, I mean, I, there are those extreme people that like stand on the side of the highway with fucking pick mm -hmm. it. Like, you know what I'm saying? They pick it against, you know, gay people, which is just like the most ridiculous thing. Please get a job. What are you doing? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just wild to me. And also something like that I was thinking about, which I said to him was, it's very unfortunate that at the time where he was becoming comfortable with his sexual orientation, his family, it was getting more clouded, clouded for them. And they're supposed to be the people that you're closest to your family. And also it's very interesting that the book and the religion that you practice, because religion for the most part, how it's advertised, is supposed to bring people together, belief, community, all of these things. And it's family values driving you apart. Mm -hmm. It's dividing, you know, it's divisive, which in this case, you know what I mean? And yeah. this is like, this might sound weird, but a part of me almost understands that at some point in time, people thought being a homosexual was a horrible thing. A part of me like understands that because it's not the normal, like, you know, there's more straight people than gay people in the world. So I can understand people being like, what is this? This is bad, you know, but how over time, you can still think that today is just how it's just wild to me. And to think that you could just like talk your way out of it, you know, we're yeah. talking about it bio, <laughs> like you're, I don't even know how to explain it. I mean, we've, we've talked about a lot of crazy things on this show, but this, one of the hardest things for me to wrap my head around is exactly what he went through a family being able to shun another family member i mean i'm super close with my family i know your family means everything to you it's just so hard to imagine that something is going to something outside of your core family the people you know is going to dictate your relationship with your family and if you can see or interact with your family member it, literally impossible for me to even begin to wrap my head around uh but that's that's what makes it you know, so sad, but that was eye opening. And I think what's crazy is that this is still happening, you know, yeah. things like conversion therapy. And it sucks uh, too, because it's going to have lasting effects. And like, just in the way that he's saying, like he had this shame for so long and now that he's like, you know, a little removed from it, he's, but he still has some things that affect him. Oh, totally. Yeah. Know? I mean, it's just come on. Man. That's how, how do you not develop, trauma from that from i mean being self-imposed shame is completely wrong yeah and and you telling it to yourself which is even more powerful arguably than you know an outsider telling you something about yourself Way is you imposing that shame on yourself and telling you that you're wrong and that voice in your head constantly going against everything that you feel is natural inside of your body is uh, that's uh, that is a struggle to the highest degree um, but you know, good to hear like a lot of our guests that he was able to navigate that. And, you know, obviously it, it wasn't easy. I don't think his journey's done, but you know, he, it, to be in any place of self-acceptance now is really positive and, and really good to hear. Yeah. I, I, I would can appreciate that aspect of, you know, us talking to him was that at the end, he was kind of like went out on his own and like did his thing, you know? And 
you know, for anyone out there that's like kind of struggling with this sort of thing, like you could take this guy as an example of, you know, he even was bought into the fact that like, I'm going to try and change and get out of this and like this and that. But at the end of the day, like your sexual orientation, I'm a firm believer that that is what you are born with. That's what you have. All these people that are saying this is a, a mental illness. It's a disease. Is that those people have a mental illness or they it's... just have a complete ignorance to like information. They just don't want to learn new things or they don't want to adapt. They don't want to change. You can't help those people. But if you are struggling with it, you know, I hope this episode is, is helpful in, you know, have it, like helpful in your journey to just owning it and being like, this is who I am, you know, because that's all I would want in the world is for people to kind of feel that way. Because the, hearing what he was saying in the beginning of this episode was just heartbreaking of being like, I was feeling these feelings, but I was feeling so much shame, you know, like and just being upset with yourself and like hating yourself. That's the worst thing you could possibly do, in my opinion, is have a horrible view of yourself or hate yourself for something that you've been brainwashed that you shouldn't be hated for. You know, it's it's yeah. just it's it's horrible to hear. But I hope that his story, you know, helped some people as well. Yeah, I hope so. And, you know, even outside of this story, you know, it's just the LGBTQ plus community as a whole. I mean, there's there's still a long way to go. You know, there's still a lot of fight that needs to be done. There's still human rights issues on the table. It's it's insane that, you know, this is still politicized. Uh, this issue that people feel like they have control over someone else's body and rights because of sexual orientation. Uh, so, you know, it, it sucks, but we just got to keep making progress. And I think we need to keep getting stories like this out there. So from, from two straight white guys, <laughs> we're, we're here for you. We're your ally. And these are the types of stories we want to share. So if it helps at all, we're happy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So for, um, anyone out there, if you think you have a story, uh, that fits for our show. We would love to hear from you. Go to OPLshow.com and send us an email and we go through all of them. And if it works, we'll schedule something out. Yes, check us out on Instagram at OPL Podcast. We post clips there and check out the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash OPL Show. You get a ton of bonus episodes if you sign up there. And uh, if you're listening to this on audio, we are on YouTube at youtube.com slash other people's lives. If you're watching this on YouTube, we have a ton of old episodes that are not on YouTube uh, anywhere that you get podcasts. So you can check all that out. Yep. That is all. See you guys next time.